It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW Sitka. Today is Wednesday, September 20th, 2023. I'm Brooke Schaefer with Raven News. Southeast trollers will have an extra 10 days to target coho, or silver salmon, before the summer season officially comes to a close. The Alaska Department of Fish and Game announced the extension last Friday, pushing the end date for the season from the usual September 20th to September 30th. Last year, the story of summer trolling was a remarkable chum harvest. This year, the species in the spotlight is coho, or silver salmon. You know, this year will be the first year in probably five or six years that the trollers um, are looking to catch over a million cohos. Hagerman is the area troll management biologist for Southeast Alaska. Chum runs are largely produced by hatcheries, and although chum runs were strong, the price of chum collapsed, forcing the fleet to reset and shift its attention to coho. With kind of the the in-season collapse of that market, uh, it, it changed things quite a bit, and so effort dropped in. And with Chinook closed, you know, a lot more effort uh, turned back to coho that we didn't really have last year. We, um, you know, we didn't reach our Chinook allocation and the coho catch was was down for the season because, you know, we had a third of the fleet that was fishing uh, hatchery chum salmon for, you know, a third of the summer. Um, So, yeah, very different this year. In just the last few weeks, catch rates for coho have been more than double the long-term average, not just for trollers, but for gillnetters, too. And the department is seeking good escapement as the coho who managed to get by the hooks and the nets are reaching their natal streams in strong numbers. Hagerman says the price bumped up later in the season as coho became noticeably larger. Although the final price often isn't settled by processors until after the season, Hagerman says it's likely to come in around $1.80 or $2. And while it's not quite the bonanza of the 2022 chum season, coho fish can feel like dependable income in an industry that's inherently volatile. I mean, that was something incredible, the, you know, nine or $10 million that was caught over, you know, a six or seven week period. So, um, you know, I'm not sure if they've exactly made up for that, but um, it it was something that gave these guys uh, an opportunity to fish on, like I said, with, without, a market for these chum and with with Chinook salmon closed for the season, um, you know, it was it was good that these cohos were around. Many of the coastal areas along Baranoff and Chichikov Islands and the Fairweather Grounds will be closed during the extended season due to the high abundance of king salmon. Trollers who want to target that species will only have to wait a couple of weeks. The winter season for Chinook opens on October 11th. Three Alaska schools won a prestigious National Education Award this year, and one of them is in Sitka. Kikushihin Elementary has been named a National Blue Ribbon School by the U.S. Department of Education in the category of Exemplary High-Performing School. On the DOE website, Kikushihin is also recognized for its community partnerships. From its work with the Sitka Tribe of Alaska to offer the Native Education Program and Science Programming with the Sitka Sound Science Center, to its partnership with SAFE to provide after-school programs like Boys Run and Girls on the Run. It's the first time a Sitka school has won the award according to the database on the Blue Ribbon website. The Department of Education has been issuing Blue Ribbon Awards to schools 
since the 1980s. 353 schools in 46 states were recognized this year across the country. Bear Valley Elementary School in Anchorage and Fronteras Charter School in Wasilla also earned the award. Six weeks ago, an unprecedented glacial outburst flood tore through Juneau, damaging dozens of homes along the Mendenhall River. Now, most of those homeowners are still in limbo. Some are trying to figure out how to rebuild. Others are wondering if they even should. KTOO's Anna Kenny has the story. Amy Ballard sits perched on the edge of her couch. On a normal day, this room would be filled with the sound of Ballard's fussing infant twins, or her friends gathered around the dining table. I loved hosting. I loved the kitchen. I loved how big it is. I like how I love, I'm saying this in past tense because it feels weird. Today, it's quiet, except for the sound of the rushing Mendenhall River just outside the window. Last month, a glacial outburst flood threatened to sweep away Ballard's condo. She had just 30 minutes to grab her twins and some essentials as the water tore away at the riverbank beneath her building. This is the first time she sat down on her couch since that night. Ballard can't bring herself to sleep here anymore. I really need to just like get over it and live here, but I, I can't. I think it's, it's done. That's hard. Six weeks later, flood recovery is just beginning. Some homeowners are figuring out how to rebuild. Others are reassessing completely. Ballard falls somewhere in between. She and her twins are keeping cramped quarters with her parents, who own a condo across the parking lot. She'd like to move out and resettle somewhere else, but she's in financial limbo. Insurance denied her claim, and state disaster aid is moving slowly. Meanwhile, she's still paying a mortgage and property taxes for a home she no longer feels safe in. And Ballard, along with the other owners in her condo complex, is on the hook for more than $20,000 to the Homeowners Association for post-flood construction and repairs. I don't have money to put down in another place. I mean, most people do not have money to just dump into fixing their places after natural disasters. The goal is to protect the condos from the force of future floods. But it won't be enough to keep Ballard here. The river was beautiful. I mean, it is beautiful. And now I look at it differently. Like, oh my gosh, you can't fight nature. Nature's going to win, right? Like, that's something that I thought about a lot with. Across the river from Ballard's third floor balcony, a dump truck drops a load of boulders onto the bank. They've put so much rock in. All along the river, restoration work has begun. Upstream, a large stretch of the riverbank in Joe Pagenkoff's neighborhood is now lined with walls of rock. Gravel and sand are piled up around the foundation of his house on River Road. 150 dump truck loads. Pagenkoff and his wife had just finished paying off the mortgage when the flood eroded away their backyard. About a third of the house was left hanging over the riverbank. They considered it a total loss until a contractor told them it might be salvageable. Really, I don't think I've taken more than about a 24-hour period off working on the house. And it's been mind-bogglingly hard. Contractors were able to stabilize the building, but the bank is only partly restored. Their house is still suspended. So Pagenkoff has been rebuilding the land by hand. Each day, he crawls underneath the house, equipped with a small shovel. Okay. This is my sandbox. And there's about five feet of walled sand that way. I'm about a third done. And so bit by bit, I'm shoveling over there and packing it in and then just moving my way this way. Even as Pagenkoff is doing so much of the work himself, 
the cost for contractors and materials will come out to about $150,000. Pagenkoff had to cash in on his retirement savings to foot the bill. All this restoration work that he and his neighbors are doing is far from over. And Pagenkoff said the real test will come with next year's flood. The one thing this Yokelup proved is there is no complete. There is no certainty. Meanwhile, Elizabeth Kent has nothing left to save. She lived in the house from the viral video, the one of a White House collapsing into the river. Kent and her husband were on sabbatical in Nicaragua when it happened. Her colleagues saw the video on news channels there. Kent and her neighbors along the riverbank helped each other to figure out what numbers to call. In the weeks after the flood, she spent a lot of her free time calling insurance companies, her mortgage broker, the city, and the state. I think there's this momentum right after it happened of like, okay, I'm going to figure this out and I'm going to find all the resources and like figure out next steps. And like, you can't. None of those agencies have promised any aid. By now, Kent feels she's exhausted all of her options. Recovery has become a waiting game. Kent says some officials have told her to hold out for federal assistance from FEMA. But she has her doubts. FEMA is already facing a funding shortage after other devastating disasters last month, including the deadly wildfire in Maui and Hurricane Adalia in Florida. Kent's been spending a lot of time thinking about people in those places. It does make me realize that, oh my gosh, all the disasters I've ever heard about, this is what happened to those people afterwards. For now, she's staying in Nicaragua. She's not yet sure when or how she'll rebuild when she comes home. In Juno, I'm Anna Canny. The opioid overdose treatment Narcan became available over-the-counter in pharmacies throughout Alaska last week. Robin Lutz is executive director of the Alaskan AIDS Assistance Association, or 4As. Her organization distributes a stronger version of Narcan called Cloxado as part of their harm reduction efforts. She says having Narcan available over-the-counter can save lives. That's especially true in areas where there is no free distribution of opioid overdose kits. When something gets offered over the counter, there's a little part of that action that normalizes the use of something. You know, it's like, like, oh yeah, I need to buy some Tylenol and tampons and also I'm going to pick up an Arcan. Lutz says carrying an opioid overdose kit is something all Alaskans should consider, and any household with an opioid prescription should keep a kit just in case. But she worries about the cost of the overdose kits. Narcan will be sold in packs of two for about $45. Especially, specifically fentanyl overdoses that could take four doses to revive, and then that has to be readministered in a short amount of time, depending on person's system and how they're doing. Naloxone kits are also still available by prescription and sometimes covered by insurance. And many organizations in Alaska distribute free opioid overdose kits. People can get kits at many public health centers or clinics. I'm Brooke Schaefer, and this has been Raven News. This is 